Hello and welcome to the Daily Booktopian for Wednesday, May 13th. I'm Mark Harding, Content and Brand Manager for Booktopia, and this is a podcast about reading in the time of isolation and social distancing. Joining me today are Category Manager for Lifestyle, Shunu Prasad. Hello, Shunu. Hello. And Category Manager for Kids and YA Books, Sarah McJoin. Hello, Sarah. Hey. Uh, So let's get into it. Sarah, what have you brought for us today? Okay, today I wanted to talk about two books, or or actually it's a book and a duology, where I was kind of, where I fell in love with the world building. Um, it's not sort of usual for me to be more obsessed with, like, the world building than the characters. I'm, I'm really, like, I love character-driven stories. And these books both have, you know, great character work, but the thing about them that really grabbed me and held my attention and the thing I think I'm going to remember most is the world building. So the first one is called The Vanishing Deep by Astrid Schultz. Uh, She is the author of a really um, best-selling book from last year called Four Dead Queens, and this is her second book, The Vanishing Deep. It is... I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a sci-fi dystopian post-apocalyptic world that she's created. Um, It's kind of, okay, so (laughs) this world, um, which I don't know, it was never super clear to me whether it's supposed to be our world or perhaps another planet far in the future. But in, in any way, in any respect, at some point, population became a problem and they had no land and um, they tried to melt. Something went wrong and they melted the polar ice caps. And so the whole world got sort of to- taken over by ocean and humanity had to learn to live on the ocean, which if you're familiar with um, a famously terrible but cult favourite movie called Waterworld starring Kevin Costner, um, Sarah, can I can I just yeah. stop you there? Do yes. not say World as famously terrible. I will go into bat for that movie. I will I will bat with you. I enjoy it. I said cult favorite, but it, okay. it, but it also has a reputation um, for being. There's, there's a reason it's a cult favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it. I think my movie, but it's so terribly made that it's now turned itself around and become good. But the world is cool, right? Like the world um, of Waterworld. Is that's how I imagine the world of the Vanishing Deep? It's like a, it's a dystopian world. There's some technology. There's definitely like remnants of a, a technological society in sunken cities under the ocean, but everyone kind of lives this um, hard knock life in uh, as best they can, like on the ocean. And there's these like crazy dystopian pirates, um, and there's uh, a lot of people are scavengers and they just go under the, um, into the sunken cities and try to find like buried treasure and stuff to sell, to live on in a very like Ray from Star Wars type scavenger life. Um, and that's the life of the main character of this book who's called Tempest. The other interesting thing about this world is that I guess left over from the society before uh, the Great Wave destroyed everything there's this technology where you are able to um, raise someone from the dead for 24 hours. It's like just this weird technology. It's really, really expensive um, and it allows you to talk, 
like talk, raise a loved one and like torture them, but only for 24 hours. So the main character of this book, Tempest, has lost like her parents and her sister and has been saving up all of this money because she wants to bring her sister back for 24 hours. And it's not, you know, so much because she loves her sister and wants to talk to her, although she does love her sister and wants to talk to her. It's more because she wants answers to what happened um, connected to her death and the death of their parents. So she's worked really, really, really hard, like um, diving down, trying to find things to sell to get the money to do this. And then when she does it, her sister is like, instead of being like, cool, yeah, I'm just going to sit here for 24 hours and like talk to you and answer all your questions, she doesn't want anything to do with that plan. She's like, we've got to go on a mission for the truth. And so she convinces her sister to help her escape from like the facility that has the technology to raise people from the dead. And then they go on this like crazy mission to uncover the truth, but they've only got 24 hours. So time is ticking down to when her sisters are going to go. They're all on the ocean, pirates, post-apocalyptic, some really thoughtful exploration of, like, grief and loss and death and life. It's it's an amazing book. It's, like, emotional and it's cool. Like, it's a cool world. I wouldn't want to live in it, Um, unlike the next book I'll talk about where I would want to live in that world. I would not want to live in the world in the Vanishing Deep, but I loved visiting it. That sounds amazing. Forgive me yeah. for being a little bit, um, a little bit Stefan on it, but it sounds like this book has everything: a water world, pirates, people coming back from the dead. Sleep <laughs> it does. It has it all, but it's grounded very much in emotional storytelling. Um, and the most important question for me, Sarah, is: Is this a standalone? Can I read this now? Do I? You have can. To yeah, you can. Oh, it's the. I, I, I don't know if she intends to go on. Um, I'd like to go to this world again, but I think you can read this and it will. Self-contained as a yes. book. Yes. Thank goodness. Okay. That's my, you know, that's the thing that I love the most to be able to read a book. <laughs> and I like, I, I love reading series. I love a series because you get really involved, but I, I just like to know beforehand if it's series or if it's a standalone because I don't like getting 20 pages to the end and being like, there's no way. I can't see how they're going to wrap this up. And then you find out they're not wrapping it up. I like to be mentally prepared for. Um, There's the no story. cliffhanger, I'll say that. If okay. the author were to announce that she's going to tell more of the story of these, the main character in this, I would be down for that. Okay, um, that's good. But, yeah, I don't, you're not going to get to the end of this and be like, what happens next? You're like, you'll avoid that feeling. Good, 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 good. And then should I go on and talk about the duology I want to talk about or should you um, talk now? No, no, I think you should talk because you're, you're, you're sitting in worlds. I'm in okay. um, contemporary land again. Right. Okay. okay. So on the theme of my, like, books that sort of where the world really captured me, I want to talk about this duology. Um, I don't actually know if the duology itself has a has a title. I refer to it as the Ink, Iron and Glass duology because there's two books the first is called ink iron and glass the second is called mist metal and ash and they're by Gwendolyn Clare um and these books really like if I could go and live in this world um I would be very happy it's this kind of oh it's gonna be hard to describe it's it's gonna be it's gonna sound even weirder than water world where you didn't bring people back from the dead trust me (laughs) but I'll give it a shot uh, so it's set in this, like, 
I guess, 19th century kind of Victorian age, but alternate version of Italy, um, which is very steampunky. So steampunk, 19th century Italy. And um, in this world, there's a kind of magic system that works with intelligence, if that makes any sense. So if you have an affinity for science and learning, it can present as this, like, magical gift. Um, and there's three disciplines. So you might go into, you might have this, they call it madness. So it's kind of like this world is full of these mad scientists who are so intelligent that they kind of go crazy, but it's magical crazy, if that makes sense. <laughs> and they do it for alchemy, which um, in this world kind of means that you're able to, like, uh, create these interesting monsters like out of all like hybrid monsters created out of all different kind of living creatures and then there's a mechanical version of it where you can pretty much like you're so smart and kind of mad with genius that you can create almost magical machines that can do pretty much anything like this world has a house in it called Casa de Pazio um, and it's alive pretty much like it's a sentient house and then the last one is the one where the real, um, this is, if I lived in this world, I would want this power. Uh, it's called scriptology. And it is essentially the ability to create things by writing them down. So you could uh, literally create whole worlds and people do this. They call them world books. Um, so they write out a whole world and the world actually becomes a real place that you can go into through the book. Which is a really beautiful analogy for like the magic of writing in general, but it's also really complicated in this world because if you make a world, you know, you're kind of responsible for that world. And it's also kind of forbidden to create a world with people in it because that's, as you can imagine, raises a whole bunch of like, these people would be real in their reality, but they would only exist within a book in the real world. And do they have rights and yada, yada, yada. So anyway, one scriptologist breaks that rule and he creates a world book called Veldana, which has a whole world in it full of people who then just go on and live their lives like normal people and they have independence and, and everything. But they still are created by a mad scriptologist and anyone who grabs the book can kind of control their world. So there's a whole bunch of like moral issues around that. The main character is from that world and when her mother gets kidnapped she goes out of the Veldana world book and in, into um, the real world and tries to track her down and she you know uh, makes friends with a bunch of other kids who are like her they have the mad genius magic power and it's basically like watching a, a ragtag gang of kids who are all so smart that they're kind of crazy um, just create nonsense machines and use world books in interesting ways like if you're a scriptologist you can carry books around with you that have everything that you need in it and you would just have to like reach into the book and get it um are you still with me guys um carpet bag yes yeah so the so the, the book is just glorious it's like the world is steampunky and and cool and fun and it's like you know, all these kid geniuses are running around doing amazing things. There's the, the sentient house, there's clockwork creatures, there's alchemical monsters. Um, and the, the majority of the plot revolves around 
the fact that some scriptologist somewhere has created the ultimate like powerful world book which is they wrote a world book to control earth so out there somewhere is this book that if someone gets it they could just start rewriting the real world to suit their pleasure and so the kids have to kind of prevent that from happening and it is amazing and I love it and it is for ink iron and glass geology by Gwendolyn Clare and that's it they're all out now right so this all is these what... books are out yeah you can go and you can go and get them now um I still feel guilty about talking about books in previous podcasts that won't be out till next year so I'm concentrating just on stuff that is already out in the world yeah I've, I've kind of done the same I, I get we, I guess we're very privileged that we get to read a lot of books um in advance um and it's great to be able to tell people about them but it's also great for people to be able to go and read books straight away that they that they might be interested in. So yes. um, yeah, I, I totally I totally get that. I've I've tried. Well, I, I've I've kind of half done that. I've got one book that's out already, and another one that's going to be out in like a couple of weeks. So that's basically out now. Um, are we ready for me to talk about my books that I want to talk yes, about? Yes, I'm here. Yeah. Absolutely nothing at all like Sarah's books whatsoever. <laughs> Um, I just, I don't, I don't know, I, I do love, um, you know, YA uh, fantasy and historical fantasy and all that kind of thing, but just, I don't know, it's just, it just turns out like what I've been reading lately just all happens to be contemporary. It's not that, you know, I've particularly gone to find these books, they've just found me. Um, a book that I read that I wanted to talk about because um, it's very American, so it doesn't, it's, it's probably not going to get a lot of like, you know, big amount of attention in, in, in Australia, but I just thought it was... And you know, a lot of the books I do read are American just because they write a lot more, a lot more books, um, young adult books particularly. Um, is that um, it's called The Life and Medieval Times of Kit Sweetly, <laughs> and it's set, which might you know sound like it's going to be set in the past, it's actually not. It's set now, um, but uh, basically the main character Kit works as a uh, yes, they still have them serving wench at um, a um, a medieval themed restaurant in Chicago. And um, so kind of like, um, you know, where you go uh, to a big arena and they, they put on a show and you sit and you eat like, you know, a turkey drumstick and then the, the wenches are serving you in, you know, the oldie style costumes that are probably just all polyester though. Um, and then the knights do some jousting and, you know, everyone rah, and then you get like plastic bibs and then you go home in your car. Um, but she actually loves, she, she loves medieval history. It's like an absolute passion of hers. Um, she doesn't love being a wench. She would much, 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 much prefer being a knight. However, this restaurant is, um, and this whole chain of restaurants is um, not, shall we say, um, up to what we would call modern uh, in their um, in their treatment of the genders. And so um, uh, girls are not allowed to be knights because, you know, they need to be historically accurate. As I'm sure you can imagine, most of this place is not historically accurate at all. But apparently that's the one area that we need to make sure that we're historically accurate, that um, only men are knights and um, women are um, wenches only, serving serving them. Um, so she, had, so she um, hatches a plan to, um, to change the policy and to become a knight. Um, now, it's not just because she is a feminist, which she is. It's not just because it's the right thing to do, which it is. But it's also because she actually comes from an extremely poor family. And um, so when you're a knight, you earn a lot more than um, a serving wench does. So she really needs the um, needs the extra money um, to, um, like, 
help her family like stay in their house, um, buy food, um, toilet paper, um, and you know basic necessities, um, and also try and earn money for college because she's also really smart. So she gets into this really good college, but you know she's not going to be able to afford to go there if she stays in this like below minimum wage kind of terrible job. Um, and um, it's the book. The reason one of the reasons why I thought the book was so good was that there are really very few books that um, that are not like super depressing, like the whole story is not about, you know, teenage runaways or people that have been abused or, you know, like really awful things, but that just show what it's like to be a smart person living in, you know, as a being someone who is who is actually poor. None of this kind of like middle class, oh, I'm, you know, I wish I could have my designer things, but I've just got this, you know, less, slightly less designer thing. Or, you know, I'm, oh, look, all the kids in my school have like these like fancy cars and look at me, I'm just driving this, you know, like they're still driving a car. You know, she actually is like poverty line, bottom, you know, bottom line poverty. Um, but that's not the, um, it drives a story, but it doesn't like pull her pull her down. It's it's just about her trying to kind of come rise above that, and it's done in like you know it's done in a really cool way. Some people have been like, ah, oh, I don't know so much about all of the pop culture references, but personally, I love pop culture references in books. And um, people go, oh, but it dates them. But I think that's part of the best thing because I know that I love going back and reading like twenty five year old like. Um, uh, Sweet Dreams books and stuff where they reference all the pop culture icons of the time and um, all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's great that they're talking about Game of Thrones and, you know, all this kind of stuff in here because it makes sense because, you know, um, the medieval times, Game of Thrones, like when this was written, probably written, I'd say, what, a year or two ago, um, you know, that's exactly when things were being huge. So it, it totally makes sense. Um, and then the other part of this book, which is really good, is that she has a really diverse um, cast of um, friends in this as well um, so uh, there's kind of like um, you know and there's different uh, people that are different you know uh, races again a little bit surprisingly for a lot of these kinds of these kinds of books it's nearly like everyone's like white and heterosexual um, here it's kind of everyone's everyone's everything and that's not the main part of the book um, but it's also really good that she does you know, even though she is poor, she does say, look, I, even though I'm poor as a white person, I do actually have more privilege in this world because I don't have to worry about um, the same way as like my other friend who is also poor, but also black <laughs> about what happens, you know, when they just like go out on the street kind of thing. Um, and then it's also got like, um, you know, a video that goes viral and um, yeah, it's really cool. And it's really, it, um, it has a great like ending that you're cheering for. And um, I really recommend it. Um, and that book is out now. So can be purchased straight away. So um, I really like that one. That sounds so good. Yeah, yeah, it really, it really is. Because you know, not all books that are trying to like sort of change sort of stereotypes or barriers or anything like that. They some of them sometimes they sound a little bit preachy. But the best part of this is because of how um, her friends, like kind of her friendship group, and also the people in her workplace, and you know, like they act as the people to kind of like say, hey, you know, you're why are you preaching to us? Look at how, like, what's going on in our lives as well. So it doesn't, like, become this super preachy kind of book that it, it could have turned into, but it didn't. It's, it's really, it's really, it's really good. Um, the other book that I want to talk about today is, I was so excited to read this, and now I'm really glad I've read it, but now I'm like, what, what am I going to do until the next book comes out? It's um, the follow-up to a book I talked about a couple of weeks ago, which was A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, and it's, um, it's, it's called Good Girl, Bad Blood. Um, by Holly Jackson, which is coming out on the 1st of June. 
So if you may, if you heard, you know, us talking about it the other week, you will have heard me gushing about it. And Sarah can now gush about it as well because she's read the first book. I um, did. And I loved it. It was great, right? It was so good. It was yeah. such a satisfyingly well done mystery as well as just having great characters in it. I was thoroughly sucked into that book and I'm really looking forward now to reading the second one, but I'd like to hear you talk about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, well, you should definitely read it and um, everyone should read both of them because they are just awesome. And um, the best part of this book is that it does the best of both worlds. You know, I was talking before about how much I hate things that have cliffhanger endings, but I do love things that keep going on in a world. And that's what this does. It's brilliant. So um, it basically continues on from the first story um, in that, like, it's got a thread that that links them together in terms of after what happens in the first book, she decides to do a podcast about the trial of the um of the person that ends up getting caught for the crime that I didn't really talk about in the yeah and the podcast becomes um you know you know does really well she's getting lots of listens and then something else happens in her town and because she has this podcast her friend comes to her and says look can you can you help me um find my brother who's gone missing because you've got this platform and the police aren't taking us seriously. And so from this really simple premise, this really interesting, complex story emerges. And it's and what's really great about it is like it's quite the first book, you know, there was really it, it, it does cover some gray areas, but it was pretty black and white a lot of the time with things, you know, some of the things weren't black and white, some of the things you, you can see both sides of. But this one was even more um uh like twisty in that like like it wasn't it wasn't um you know there were things weren't as they as they seemed but for different reasons than you might have thought if that makes sense mm-hmm. and so um but it doesn't do it in a really annoying way where things just feel like they've just been shoved in to try and confuse you like it's done in a way that um you can I think has really been really well plotted and you and totally makes sense um and also Pip's character and um the you know uh Ravi and kind of like um, all the people in the um, that were in the first book kind of show up again in the second book, and some play larger parts than in the first one, and some some lesser parts. So that was really interesting because it really feels real <laughs> in that way. Um, in that they've you know it feels like what would really what would really happen. Um, not that you know again small towns in in um, in England seem to have very 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 high crime rates, a la you know midsummer murders. <laughs> <laughs> And like it's like you know I don't I don't know why anyone lives in a small town. It seems to be much safer to live in a big town in um in in England uh for you know in terms of crime. But anyway, I mean that's just what makes it great. It's like you you couldn't have this um happen in a larger in a larger city. It just wouldn't work. It, the fact that these stories work is because they are set in this small in this small um sort of village town um in England. So uh it's just great. This one ends in a really great way as well. Um it has an ending. Um, but also you can totally see that they could make, and I really, really hope she's writing more, um, more books with this um, with this character as she goes to. Maybe maybe they can move these ones out slightly as she does go to uni because this is just in between the time from when she still hasn't quite finished school yet. Um, like last time she was, you know, almost finished, and this is only a month after, so she's still got a couple of months left of school. Um, so, uh, yeah, really, really, really 100% my favourite favourite book that I've read, um, uh, young adult book I've read in the last couple of weeks for sure. 
Yeah, it's a really solid series, this one. I, You guys know how much crime I read, right? Like I read a lot of crime novels. And this mystery in the first book of this series, The Good Girl's Guide to Murder, it is. it genuinely kept me guessing. Like just when you think you've yeah. figured out part of it, you realise you've only figured out an element of it and there's this yeah. whole hidden extra stuff going on. It's very, very well done, but it's also got all the things you expect from a YA contemporary, like, you know, a, she's got a great, cute family that I loved reading about, like um, lovely. lovely dialogue with her and her friends, great friendships, like um, a bit of hint of romance. Like it's got everything yeah. that you could want. But there's, there's real stakes as well. So it's not like, a, like you know, some books sometimes kind of like, sort of hint at something bad happening and then they kind of pull back, you know, in this kind of way or they go, you know, fall out where everything's terrible. But I'm, but in these, in these, you know, in this book, you know, things happen and there are consequences and those consequences are felt in the second book. So that's what I mean about it feeling really authentic, that it doesn't just kind of forget about things and just kind of, you know, put things in to make a point. They kind of really feel like they're really, um, you know, there's a reason for everything that happens. And you're right, she doesn't pull punches. Like this is definitely for... I mean, I'm sure age age weight, age range is, like, difficult to say here because I think it's fine for younger readers except some of the subject matter does yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It, yeah. It's more about your maturity level rather than your age. Like, it's not written in a way that's hard to, um, you know, hard to read or it's not complicated in that way. Um, but it definitely has subjects that, you know, you want to be. And it doesn't doesn't deal with them in a, um, in a really simple way. It doesn't gloss over yeah. things. Yeah. No, no. Well, it's not. It's not super violent or super um, graphic or anything, but it does. It just. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you guys. These have been amazing recommendations, and I have to say, I personally, um, YA doesn't make up a huge part of my reading diet, but I actually want to read every single book that was recommended on the podcast today. They all sound amazing. <laughs> As you should. Yeah, that's actually the worst. The worst part about um, hosting this podcast every day is hearing everybody's yeah. recommendations. My to read yeah. pile is just insane at the moment. <laughs> yes, that is all I'm doing on my weekends is reading books. Lots of books. So <laughs> well, books. we're we're rapidly running out of time here. Um, we've gone well over. Um, it's been an amazing discussion and some amazing books recommended. Um, Sarah, we always like to give a special shout out to an Australian author at the end of the podcast, who are we going to give a special shout out to today? Oh, well, I've already mentioned her. It was the author of The Vanishing Deep, Astrid Schultz. She is an Australian author, I think, I believe based out of Melbourne. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. I think she's in Melbourne. <laughs> um, but she's definitely Australian. She's written for Dead Queens last year, which was a big runaway hit. And her new book, The Vanishing Deep, is the one I spoke to you about today, The Waterworld, back from the dead one. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you so much for that, Sarah. And thank you, Shanu, for joining us today. Um, and thank you to everybody who tuned in to listen. Um, you can listen to all of our episodes for free right now on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we'll be back at the same time tomorrow with another episode of the Daily Booktopia. Until then, keep reading. And please stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget... You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia.
Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.